I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood while trying to solve a neighborhood mystery, what he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods. The story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content, both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.
Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Brought to you in part by Maine Operation Game Thief, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, and the North American Game Warden Museum. Welcome to episode 111. And we are going to break out the two guys that you met in the previous podcast. And it's only fair that we start with Ethan Justinger from Utah since we were sitting on his front porch. And towards the end, you're going to hear some wind noise. Like I said, it was trains, planes, and automobiles, and wind. So everything that wasn't there when we started podcasting, but it gives you that front porch feeling. So, and again, if you guys have an iPhone, if you could go to i the, the Apple podcast there and just bang out a recommendation for Warden's Watch... And I will tell you, if you can tell a friend about Warden's Watch, it's so important. And they can hit that plus sign and help out things right there um, and follow me. And that helps for the bean counting, so to speak. So enjoy this podcast. As always, I did. And thank you for listening to Warden's Watch podcast. On this Warden's Watch, we're sitting on Ethan Justinger's front porch in Utah. And... I'll tell you, for an Easterner, it's just an awesome place to visit. And you got a kind of a cool story, Ethan, because you're an Easterner too. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I I kind of just had dreams of being a game warden, so I went to school back. I'm originally from western New York. Went to school at uh, a SUNY school just like you did, but it was the College of Environmental Science and Forestry. So yeah. My degree's in natural resources management, but I just wanted to be a game warden. So I was firing out applications left and right, just trying to get hooked up with a, a job to be a game warden. Uh, and then I went on an elk hunt in Colorado, and I was like, I need to be in a place that has elk where I can hunt elk every year. So I came out, got hired on with Utah, and here I am four and a half years later, just enjoying every day. Cool. Tell me about that hunt. You know, that got you going that you, you came out here because I, I get to experience that late in life too. And uh, it, even for an old game warden, it was pretty, a pretty epic event, like you said. And I can see myself getting caught up in that. So, sure. can you just share a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So, I basically was working with a buddy. Uh, I worked at a tree service company mm -hmm. and we actually went to the same college. So, we knew each other. And then I knew that he liked to hunt and had dreams of killing an elk. And I said, let's do it. Yeah. I was like, it's all public land. We can just go in there. We'll backpack in. We'll stay a week. Because it's like, I've went camping back east. So how hard could it be? Yeah, exactly. But when you're, <laughs> I got altitude sickness. So basically uh, we, we drove out there the first day 
and then kind of so just, tags you got you got tags and yep. and, and yep. did you just get cow tags or nope, how did that work yep. you did archery archery bull elk archery. tags we both got okay so it was just over the counter one of the over counter units uh, we just did some e scouting did a bunch of uh, looking through that and picked an area and we actually got lucky because it was a we picked an area and we're looking at the maps being like, how mm-hmm. hard can it be? Yeah. But man, looking at a map compared to looking at the mountain in front of you, <laughs> it's quite the difference. Yeah. Um, but we got lucky because an outfitter was actually using that area. So it wasn't a designated trail like on Onyx, but they had a cut trail. Nice. Um, so we went up into that area, set up camp. It was about a three mile hike in, mm-hmm. uh, probably 2000 feet of elevation. So it was a pretty grueling hike going yeah. from 700 feet elevation to camping at 11,000 feet elevation. Yeah. So, but anyway, we said- And had you thought about the altitude sickness beforehand? Nope. Didn't even cross my mind. Didn't even cross your mind. So, but anyway, the first, we hiked up there, set up camp. We actually bumped a bull on our way in and we're Mm. like, all right, we're going to be- You're in a good spot. Yeah, we're going to be in the mix. And two whitetail hunters that Mm -hmm. didn't know, you know, what to expect or anything like that. Uh, we had a couple encounters, would hear them bugling just in the first thing in the morning, and then in the afternoon, it was an earlier September hunt. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you heard them bugling? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's just kind of like, man, what a majestic sound coming out of a creature. It is. Um, but the thing that is most vividly painted in my mind is one of the mornings, and we were like, we were probably camped too close to the elk. Uh-huh. Um, so we got out and we would start hunting right from our camp. Yeah. I mean, there was nights that we could hear footprints going <laughs> around our camp and everything yeah. like that. So I was like, yeah, we're too close, but we were already there. Yeah. Again, and set up. And I don't want to hike more elevation <sighs> every morning. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, but I had my buddy, his bow, his bow actually broke. He went to do a practice shot in the peep site. <laughs> came undone. So I was luckily the automatic shooter. On yeah. It. Um, but usually when you hunt elk, you have a collar and then you have a shooter mm-hmm. and you, de- depending on the terrain, you separate those. Mm-hmm. But we were, we didn't really know that. So he, cow called, there was a bull raking on a tree and we got within 50 yards and he cow called, the bull turned around and came on a line straight to us. Mm. And at 20 yards in front of me, it was a cold morning. He bugled and his breath was just rolling off of his mouth and he had slobber just coming out like if you were holding the five gallon bucket underneath i was like man this i am hooked on elk hunting (sighs) so yeah i had i didn't get i drew back on him tried to do that uh tried to have a shot but man i was their eyesight's good enough at 20 yards yeah see that kind of movement but even after that i was shaking like crazy oh yeah um so yeah we just had a great experience i mean we didn't kill an elk but enough to leave me wanting more um, so yeah, I, I told that, I told about that experience in my hiring panel and my training lieutenant, who's now my chief, mm-hmm. he basically said like, yeah, that's Colorado. That doesn't happen in Utah. And every year since, like I've had an experience like that. And he's uh, like, yeah, you continue to prove me wrong. And, <laughs> and I've got a, I've got a goal to kill an elk every year that I've been here, whether it's a cow or a bull. Yeah. And I've been successful in that. So I've killed four elk so far from being out here. And mostly archery? Uh, so I killed, I've only killed one with my bow so far and that was the limited entry hunt. Um, but people, when they hunt cows, they usually are looking for cows close to the road or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the first, the first elk that I ever shot was a cow elk six and a half miles from the trailhead. Yeah. So, and everybody thinks that I'm crazy for doing that, but 
I have friends with horses, so mm-hmm. I was able to pack that out on horseback. But I ate elk for the whole year while yeah. they were just saying that I was crazy. So <laughs> then the next then the next year I killed a bull in that same area. Next year I had an archery uh, limited entry tag that was a surrender permit. So they uh, called me about two weeks before the season started. I was like, "Hey, we have the surrender permit. Are you interested in it?" And I only had two points, and it usually takes like eight or 10 points to draw that for Mm -hmm. an archery tag. So I knew that it would take me another 10 years to draw it. So still not knowing a ton about elk, but I'm like, yep, this will be a great opportunity. So I took it. I was within 30 yards of 10 bull elk before I killed the one that I did. And it was just a great, like phenomenal experience. I had friends that came out and helped me. My uh, sergeant let me, I asked him because I had a canvas tent Mm -hmm. and he's like, or I asked him to borrow his generator to run a microwave. And he, yeah. goes, he goes, yeah, you can take my generator, but it comes with a camper. So he let me take his whole camper up onto the mountain, borrowed a four-wheeler and everything like that. So borrowed a lot of equipment to make it work. Yeah. But, man, it was it was just very cool. And then, yeah, I just shot a cow elk last year too. And then I get called to ask, or everybody knows that I'm willing to go elk hunting. Uh So they'll like call me up and say, hey, I drew this tag. Are you interested in coming? And I'm like, yep, I am am way interested. Because now it it turns into me just wanting to call the elk. Like I don't care if I shoot them. I'd rather have that satisfaction from somebody else rather than me shoot it. Like don't get me wrong, I get super excited to shoot Mm -hmm. an elk. But to see that experience go through for somebody else and me being the one that called that animal in, that's just going to be, you know, that's, that's what I look for in a hunt. Like I don't need, I don't need to be the one that's pulling the trigger or releasing that arrow. I just want to be the part of it. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of hunts this year. My girlfriend at Nuia just won that bull elk hunt on the cooperative wildlife management unit. Yeah. And then her brother drew a youth any bull hunt. Mm-hmm. which is basically a draw, it's 10% draw odds for like the youth that put in and they go up on those same units that I hunt archery to kill any bull and they get to hunt with a rifle in the middle of September as well. Nice. So I've got some spots lined up there and then one of our other officers drew a Manti muzzleloader. So where I killed my archery bull, he drew the Manti tag for a muzzleloader. So I've got three weeks lined up in September to already go hunting there. Yeah, you're going to be busy. And then in December, I've got a buddy with a late season archery tag that he asked for some help with too. So, yeah. But yeah, I just love love anything to do with elk and love to be involved with any kind of hunt that has to do with them. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting to, to hear how you got bit by the elk bug. Man, it's it's once you... There's people that are like, yeah, mule deer hunting is better. And I'm just mm. like, man, you must not have had an experience like me because mm. it's hard to beat that. Yeah. It's it's hard to beat a bugle and bull elk in your oh, face. Oh, that majestic sound. Of, you know, the first time I heard it, my hair stood right up on my back, yeah. and my neck. And I was just like, oh, that's something. That's yep. something you have to experience. Yeah. It's you, it's unlike anything else. Like it, there's, it, there's no way that you can explain it to people. Yeah. And I think the closer you are, the more impact it is. I was like 35 yards when he let out and I was just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the loudness of it at 35 yards and just, uh, it was crazy. And I could hear all the cows mewing and yep. that were in the herd. It was just, yeah. Feel, feel it right in your bones. Yeah. To, to, to this day, because that was my first experience. So I knew you were going to have your first experience, yeah. oh, but, yeah. uh, and, and thanks for being so descriptive because I mean, I, you put me right there with you, yeah. uh, with that thing coming 20 yards out of the fog That's and crazy. the, yeah, just steam it. Uh, 
Yeah, that that's great. And that's really good stuff to turn into being a game warden. Sure. Because A, your drive is such that, you know, you want to protect those animals as much as you want to hunt them. Sure. Because hunters are conservationists. That's, you know, I, I try to say that as much as I can because these anti-this and anti-that hunters are conservationists. We put our money where our mouth is. Sure. And I think that's so important. And as game wardens, uh, when we're hunting, we, we protect things. And we're never off duty. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah, if we're out in the field and we see something, we're going to address it. Uh, yeah, we're going to sure. address it or we're going to say, that's kind of that's kind of odd that all the deer are going this way. Sure. You know, and then you follow it to the end and there's a bait pile there. So, or, or something to those manners. So, I think uh, it's, you're, you're never off as a game warden. You're always working, whether you're hunting or whether you're patrolling uh, or whether you're working a case. And it just lends to it when you're out there doing something because uh, just think of the the benefit to utah of having you hunt you know basically here's the game warden not only is he patrolling his normal duty hours but now he's out there hunting and he's never off duty so sure. it just adds to that protection so utah after that experience i mean did you test in any other things or this was the first opportunity that came up or did you focus i had a couple other Test, but the majority. I was so young that I think that they the age yeah. um, kind of kept me away. Or the Ohio boys that we met right. at Nuiya, they just said that I spelled my name wrong on the application. <laughs> uh, so, uh, which might have been, I don't know. But you, you, you don't yeah, know I, that. I just. So how old are you currently? I am 27. 27. You've been on the job how long? Five years. So I Five got, years. Yep. I got hired at the age of 22. Yeah. So. That's that's great. Yeah. That's, um, you know, when I came on 25 was the magic number. They wanted that maturity sure. in an officer. And then five years on is that point where you're just getting your feet underneath you and you're, you're I wouldn't call you seasoned, but you're no longer green. And I think that's the point I always looked at. Officers seem to have, have come up to their playing field. So sure. they're not, they're no longer a rookie. They're, they're the player where they're on the field. And it's, uh, that's a great place to be that yeah. five year mark because, you got all your skill sets. Sure. Yeah. But you're, you're still learning. You learn. You're, all you're the still time. learning, but you got skill sets and you're deploying them. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're, you're a very competent officer that, you know, especially as a supervisor, you know, that's just great to have a competent officer out there with five years on. Yeah. When I was first interviewing, I was, I was disappointed and I had a long day at the tree service job. I worked like a 14 hour day. Mm. I was like, I did not go to college to chip brush right. all day. So on a whim, I just sent my application because I was like, it was like 11 p.m. Sent my application in, and they were the first ones to be like, "Yep, come on, come on out and do this interview." Mm. And then I was like, "Man, I just need somebody to give me a chance. Yes. That's that's all I need. I I recognize that I'm young, but mm -hmm. I just need a chance." And they were they were able to stick their neck out and and say like, "Yep, we're." This kid is applying everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, within the next year, some other agency is going to pick him up. Yep. And I and I knew that I didn't have experience and stuff like that. So I'm a pretty pretty physically fit individual, mm -hmm. and so I knew if there was going to be one spot that I needed to stick out was going to be our physical fitness test. Right. So I was like, "Yep, I'm just going to come here. I'm going to do that physical fitness test, and I'm just going to blow everybody else out of the water because I need to stand out." Yeah. And so like. There was a forest fire going on. I still remember this. There was a forest fire going on. So all the smoke was blowing into Salt Lake. So I was already fighting the altitude and then oh. that smoke when you ran. And so you have these other, not scrawny people, but like lighter people. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, yep, I am going to come in first because that is how you get noticed. Yes. And so I, I just booked it down the trail and then came back. And I think I finished it in under nine minutes. You had to run a mile and a half. Mm -hmm. I think I finished it in under nine minutes. And some other person that was from up here, they were like, man, when did you, when did you start to get tired? And I was like, the first 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like this smoke is horrible. And the altitude is hard on you. But I knew that that was what was going to make me stand out. And actually talking to my training lieutenant, because I've I've made a pretty good relationship with him now. Um, who, like I said, he's my chief now. Um, he he personally weighted the physical fitness test, kind of the major the majority of it of the hiring process mm-hmm. in his in his mind. He was like, if somebody is going out there and is physically fit that shows their drive and their willingness to be something. Yeah. So that's what he told me. He's like, because you stood out there, that's because we had half the lieutenants say, oh, he needs more life experience and half liked me. And then he kind of just was like, this kid's applying everywhere. He stood out here. He's got high drive. Mm. Like, I think we need to give him a chance. And they did. And I, I think that they're glad that they did. And I'm glad that they're, they did for sure too. I, I love this job. Like, there's, I know it's cliche and you hear it from every other game board, mm-hmm. but man, you get to do all the fun things and you don't, you don't feel like you're going to work. That's my family back East. They're like, oh yeah, you got paid to go fishing today or, yeah. you know, we do our youth hunts or something like that and you get paid to do that. It's yeah. like, yeah, this is like one of the greatest jobs on earth. No doubt about it. Yeah, for sure. And when we hear that a lot, but uh, that's very inspiring or it should be inspiring to people that want this job. You know, because that's, that is a place to stand out. And, uh, I've heard from a few game wardens, our, our, my, my brothers in Maine, they're like, Hey, it's the only test we give you the answers to yeah. is, uh, you know, the physical fitness. So yeah. if you, if you can't ace that, then we're going to have a problem. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And you have, you have time leading up to it mm-hmm. to prepare for it. It's not right. like a surprise or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, if you're, if you're willing and if you, if you want that job, you have to just show them that you want it. So mm. pair that with the elk hunting experience. They knew that I was a hunter and like, yeah. and have that elk bug. Like, you yeah. said, of like, yeah, he's going to be passionate about protecting that resource as well. Right. And packing up lock, stock and barrel, heading out as a new Utah officer across the country from New York, another epic trip. You know, sure. that, that'll always be in your mind, I'm sure. Yeah. That, uh, cause I'm like, yeah, I just, you're, you're coming in, you're breaking through, and yep. yeah. Yeah, my brother and I, we, we drove straight through, and, uh, so we drove straight through from New York to Utah. It was a 29 hour drive. Mm-hmm. And I basically just packed everything that I could in my truck and was like, this is what I'm bringing. Yeah. So yeah, good driving through Wyoming. It was like a snowstorm. They closed <laughs> I 80 behind us. Oh. So there was tractor trailers all over the road and everything like that. So that was a stressful drive at like four o'clock in the morning. And I just started driving like maybe an hour or two. And I looked at my brother and I'm falling asleep while I'm driving and I'm like, I can't do this. And so we had to switch back again. <laughs> but then seeing the sunrise, you know, as we're coming into Uint, to uh, Utah and seeing the Uinta mountain range, and it's just like, this is home. This yeah. Is, this is going to be a really cool experience. So, yeah, I'm grateful that he made that trip out with me. And, you know, it was it was a long haul, but I wouldn't, I don't regret it whatsoever. Yeah, just the, it's the start of the adventure. Sure. 
and yeah. I'm still adventuring every day. Yeah, absolutely. And and you always have that attitude, I, I think, throughout your career is the, the next thing. You look over the next horizon, the next horizon. Yeah. Um, we'll be doing this podcast, you know, 20 years from now, and you'll have uh, quite the, the forte of stories, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. So, yeah. so let's talk about um, some of your first cases. Sure. Uh, and <laughs> having the elk bug... You, you like investigating, I would assume, elk cases yeah. even more so than uh, any anything else. Yeah. So just the main, kind of one of the main elk cases that sticks out to me is when I was a newer officer. Um, but you're totally right. Like I, I definitely work harder on big game cases mm-hmm. um, than maybe some other cases. Not to say that I kind of shove them off, but I'm more like, I want to get down to it and figure it out. And I think that's, you know, everybody would say that same thing. I remember yeah. in moose cases, we would do the same thing, put a lot more effort into those things. Yeah. You know, deer cases, if they're big bucks or stuff, I think we, we almost feel obligated to do that. Sure. Um, yeah. so it's, it's the more attractive case. Yeah, the jackalope cases, you know, they can go by the, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I was, I would say that I, I, I was an officer that had about a year on, um, and it was, I think it was a Sunday night, and I made plans to work with our park ranger, do a side-by-side patrol. Mm-hmm. So we went out on side-by-side, checked some hunting license. It was the archery bull elk hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the... Labor Day weekend, Sunday night, um, and so I'm all dusty. We finished our side-by-side patrol around, I don't know, 8 or 9 p.m., and I was just pulling into my driveway, and you know as well as I do that tip that tip call comes in. Yeah, So that tip's turning a poacher. Yep. That's yep, what it stands yep, for. Yep, yep, exactly. So ours is called the U-tip line, so yep. it's Utah turning a poacher. Um, and I talked to this individual already once because he had – he had a co- he had an employee that was kind of he was getting in with the wrong crowd and mm-hmm. was talking about going to hunt on private and where he shouldn't be and this guy just kind of kept his mouth shut and was just listening because he's like yeah if they do this I'm turning them in because it's just not fair to everybody else mm-hmm. so I basically got that phone call around 9 p.m. he said hey you know this kid shot a bull elk he's telling me it's by bald knoll. Um, which was on public property, but it butts up to a cooperative wildlife management unit, yep. which is basically a smaller elk hunting unit within a unit. So it's private land that is large enough to be an elk hunting unit. So it's like, I think it needs to be at least 8,000 acres. Wow. Um, and so the way that it incentivizes the public to get onto that private is they, we get to raff, uh, like, uh, draw some public tags to go on that private Mm. and in turn they get uh you know say they get eight elk tags to sell Mm -hmm. the public gets an opportunity at two of those so that's not to say that's specific for every cwmu is dependent on the property and everything like that right but it's it's a way to facilitate public hunters getting onto private nice so with that i got a call and he said it's by bald knoll but I think they were talking about going to hunt on the church property, which is part of this cooperative wildlife management unit. Gotcha. And so I was like, do you know where it is? He knew who it was. I was like, do you know his license plate? Do you know what he drives? And he goes, I don't know where on the CWMU they are, mm-hmm. but he drives a silver Tacoma. And I was like, okay. 
and you know, this was already a 12 hour day. So I was like, are you, are you sure? Like, and he goes, I just have that gut feeling that this is, there is something shady going on. And so I, I dropped off the side by side and was like, I will go to it, my man. So I, I dropped off the side by side. I worked my way up there and there's two main roads that you can take. Mm -hmm. And so I asked him, I was like, you know, Lake Creek or Center Creek, which, which one? And he goes, go up Center Creek. And as soon as he said that, I knew there was a road that kind of winded down and stopped right at that private property. Mm. So I was like, man, with any luck, his truck is going to be parked there because it takes a while to quarter an elk up and to get it back to the vehicle, right? Right. So I knew that I had some time, but I didn't know what time they killed it at. It was probably an hour after dark so Mm -hmm. far. And it's a bumpy road, so it took me about an hour to get there. But I turn on that road, you know, go past the cattle gate, and then I'm winding down, and I'm just like fingers crossed that I'm turning this corner, and there his truck is. So I turn this corner, and boom, Silver Tacoma, like 100 yards away from the private property. So I'm like... I have something here. You are parked too close to this private property. Not to not, be on it. Not to be on it. Yep, exactly. And it was gated and no trespassing. Their CWMU signs and everything like that. So I was pretty confident on mm-hmm. it. So anyway, I called for backup because it's probably about 10.30 p.m. I don't know what this is going to be. So I, I had the I got a pretty good relationship with the county sheriff here. Yep. So one of the sergeants came up. And I said, I don't know where they are, but I know where his truck is. So we went up into this reservoir where we could kind of see. And I said, if we can hop up there, we might be able to see headlamps walking around mm-hmm. in, in the in the trees. So we went up there and we're sitting there. And it's it's uh, it gets to be about 1.45 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, man, my shift ended at 12. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay here any longer, but I'll try to get another officer up here for you. So he coordinates that. And as he's leaving, he encounters a truck that's pulling down. And it's got to be, you know, that other vehicle or something related because driving around at two o'clock in the morning on this mountain road, this dead end road is like, it's got to be him. So he stops them, talks to them. They got blood on their hands. You know, they're in hunting clothes and everything like that. So he calls me up. And basically just asked me, he goes, uh, or he said, you know, did you guys kill an elk? And they admit to it. Mm-hmm. And so by the time that I get up there, I ask him, because I already knew. Like, I, I knew just the circumstances that this elk was most likely killed on this CWMU. So I just asked him, I said, did you kill that elk on private? And he goes, no, I shot it on public. I go, did you retrieve it on private? And he goes, nope, it was on public as well. So right there, he he told me that he knew, he told me that it was on public both times. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, can you take me to that elk carcass? And he kind of looks at his phone, opens up his Onyx, uh, the hunting op- application, yep. you know, that details. So it shows the map and yep, everything. Yep, yeah, private and public, which, yep. which that CWMU actually is a different, it has a different layer on it. Okay. So it, it shows National Forces green, CWMU is kind of like a dotted blue, blue area. Mm-hmm. So he opens up his Onyx and then he's kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take it to, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take you to it. And I'm like, well, if I kill an elk, I drop a pin of where it is because if you have to make multiple pit, multiple trips, you're going to know where it is. Right. And so him just saying that, you know, it was just like, yeah, I, 
it's just build in that case, you right. know, through a little bit more investigation and everything like that through some, with the pictures that he had and his interview in the interview that I had with him on the field, it was determined that it was on, it was at least recovered on private property. Gotcha. So I told him, I said, Hey, like that elk is illegal. I'm going to be seizing it tonight. So I followed him back to his camp, seized the bull elk with the meat. I did an interview with, there was three individuals total. So I did an interview with the hunter and then they had uh, another hunter that was back at camp that was sleeping. And so I woke him up, announced myself as a conservation officer and interviewed him. Well, he, he kind of alluded to the fact that he knew he ended up actually shooting this bull four times with his bow and arrow. Wow. Um, so that just tells me that he wasn't taking kind of like ethical shots. He was kind of forcing shots in there. Mm-hmm. But this other individual had a limited entry tag as well. They put in as a group and they all drew tags. Oh. So he was with him with his bow and everything like that. So through the interview, he said the fourth shot was probably on private. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan, for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. And so I kind of got that admission to him. And then, you know, I, I talked to the hunter again. I said, do you know what you need to do when you find, like if it goes onto private property and he told me, yep, it need, I need to get permission. Or I asked him, I said, what if you can't get permission? And he's like, I don't really know. I said, you could, you could call us and we could try to facilitate that, right? Because we don't want animals right. just going to waste. Absolutely. So I will do whatever I can in my power to try to facilitate somebody to recover their animal. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we leave with that and then I'm off of the mountain. You know, I meet up with the um, sheriff's deputy and we're down at like 5 a.m. So I started my day at 8 p.m. 8 a.m. the next the day before and i ended it at 5 p.m or 5 a.m yeah. so it was 21 hour day that's mm. my that's my longest day i've had so far but it came out with a felony level l case 
So one thing that I forgot to mention, and so this was when I was very new, uh, and obviously mistakes are made when you're brand new, but he had a photo on, he had photo evidence of where that animal was taken right on his cell phone. So I probably should have seized that as evidence and then wrote a search warrant um, right. later to get that evidence and further gather more evidence. Because usually if there's a photo on there, there will be text messages, anything like that to make your case stronger. Right. Because um, that's exigent circumstances. Yeah, that could, evidence can be it. changed up yep. or destroyed or yep. whatever. Totally. So yep. you can, as officers, and I just, I'm doing this more for our listening public, you sure. can seize that. And then, and just like Ethan said, then do a search warrant. Yep. You know, you have the phone. The exigency now has left. Sure. So now we now we take that extra step to bring it to a judge and say, hey, yep. this is why we need to look what's inside this. And sure. So. And then also, he I seized his bow because he had a quiver full of bloody arrows. Right? Oh, wow. So, yeah. so that's evidence that his bow killed that elk, you know, mm-hmm. or further, I could do DNA tests on to match that blood to that elk if needed. Right. And... and uh, you know, clothing, yep. shoes. Yep. Uh, I've heard officers take it all. Yep, exactly. I know. But he, <laughs> but he did have a. He had a GoPro on the the stabilizer of his bow. Oh wow! And in my interview, I basically asked him. I was like, "Did you film any of the hunt?" And he said, "No, I'm. I was just lost in the moment. GoPro was out of battery and everything like that, and just." foolishly i believed him mm-hmm. like he already lied to me so many times why right. i believed him on that i have no idea yeah. but the next morning i was like dang it i should not have let him take that gopro off of the bow because he asked me he said can i take this gopro off the bow before you seize it and i said yeah that's sure that's fine and the next morning i was like he probably has video <laughs> of that bull getting shot that ties the the bow in his hand, you know, mm. to shooting that specific elk. Yeah. So anyway, I talked with my investigators and they were like, yep, but you're new like that. Is, and that right. is the way you learn. You make those kind kind of mistakes. So like we were talking at lunch earlier, there's no, there's no way that I will look at a camera mounted device on a weapon. If I'm seizing it, that is going to come with it because mm-hmm. that is part of it. So I definitely learned that as a new officer of like, yep, that needs to come with because that's going to have evidence on it too. Right. So anyway, we, I kind of, uh, so fast forward to the next day, I called up our canine handler who's certified in human tracking mm-hmm. and, uh, and wildlife detection, obviously. So I had where he parked his truck and... I knew that I wanted to just track his footprints the next morning right. and just go right to the elk carcass. So we were able to drive up there the next morning after I booked the evidence that I needed to. We came back up and uh, started the track. His his uh, canine's name is Kip. We started the track there. Dog got right onto the track. We were following footprints mm-hmm. right into it. And so we dropped into this area and there were probably... I don't know, five or six wallows that were just absolutely like tore up all the trees and everything were all tore up. And even in my case report, I kind of explained it because county attorneys don't necessarily know. Right. So I explained what a wallow is. So it's a water hole that bull elk will basically urinate in and then roll around in it to get that rut scent to try to attract females. So I put that right in my Mm -hmm. case because that is a popular tactic for archery hunters Mm -hmm. to hunt those wallows. So we came down into this wallow and just that elk hunting experience that we talked about, 
I was just like, this is where this elk was first shot. Right. Like I, I do not have a doubt in my mind, just looking at the circumstances around here, you know, it was an absolute rut fest. So I, I was like, this is, I, I, I said to the other officer, I said, James, this is where this elk was mm -hmm. shot first. He's like, yep, totally. I totally agree with it. So anyway, we keep following the tracks and then probably, I don't know, uh, maybe 400 yards from those wallows, we found the bull elk carcass that was covered with sticks and logs. Mm -hmm. So they tried to conceal the carcass with the sticks and logs. So I'm like, that is not normal no. for a hunter to take all of the meat and everything like that and then take logs and try to pile them on top to conceal it. Yeah. So James and I were like, yep, yeah, we, we have a felony level case here because that shows their knowingly and intentionally actions mm -hmm. to get to that want destruction charge. Right. And so in Utah, we have basically uh, the class, anything over $500 is a felony. Um, and so a value of an elk is $750. Now a trophy elk is considered six points on one side. Mm -hmm. So if it has six points on one side, it is worth $8,000 in restitution to the state. Wow. And so this was a, a beautiful six by six bull elk, mm -hmm. you know, one that anybody would be happy yeah. to take if, even if you were rifle hunting. Right. So I'm sure seizing that from him, like really hurt him, mm -hmm. but, and he knew that he was in trouble. So mm -hmm. we knew that we had a good case and I kind of talked to my investigators about it and I was like, man, we need to go get that phone back and we need to get that GoPro because that is going to make my case stronger. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, we go back down there, do another knock and talk. We write up the search warrant for there and we basically show up and be like, hey man, we have a search warrant for this device and this device. Can you provide it? And so he gives us the phone and the GoPro. You know, he's, he's pretty compliant and everything mm -hmm. like that. And so anyway, I do the phone dump on uh, our... Data database that we use. Um, and then I'm just going through text messages and photos, GPS locations and stuff like that right. that come off of the phone. And then luckily the GoPro, he did not delete anything off of the GoPro. Mm. So I was able to look back and wouldn't you know it, there was like four different clips of him shooting that bowl wow. with it. So I had that video evidence, that GoPro connected to that bow him shooting it. So just, just building the evidence. Um, but then the interesting thing is, is, I mean, you learn a lot about somebody when you seize a phone and you mm. go through their, you yes, go, you do, you go through their text messages and everything like that. Opens up their lives. Yeah. It's uh he, and he lived a life that's mm. for sure. Full, full of excitement, but, mm. uh, you know, interested in the wildlife related stuff, yep. obviously. But what I learned was they were texting before each other and, you know, they were saying, you know, back in August, they were talking about this area, you gotcha. know, saying, hey, if you turn if you turn your maps to topography instead of satellite, it shows the wallows. Uh. Um, or like they were texting when he first shot the bull because mm -hmm. he had cell phone service in that area. Gotcha. And he said, you know, I just stuck a bull. The other guy that he was with was, you know, he said, you know, Tommy is pissed because apparently he was at full draw on the same bull. Uh. So that that gathers more evidence that that individual is trespassing as well. Gotcha. And hunting mm. in that area too. Right. So I have both of them there that are now in the case. So then I, I basically just gathered more evidence and they, the landowner of the CWMU, they were looking to get permission to go on there and hunt. Mm. 
So they called the guide and said, hey, we have these Wasatch limited entry elk tags. Can we go on this property and hunt? And the guide specifically told them, this is a CWMU. Your tag is not valid there. Mm. So you cannot hunt here. So that, you know, that is just more evidence that he knew that he could not go on that property. Right. But the hunt was coming to an end and he got desperate. Mm -hmm. And then the landowner actually came up to them because they were just camped right on the corner of public and private property and so the landowner came up and he or he or she can't remember if it was a he or she they said hey you're you're camped on our property you guys can't be here and they pulled up onyx and they said no based on where where we're at right now with onyx we are on national forest not your cwmu so that shows to me they know exactly, they exactly where, where the, the bi- boundary is and mm-hmm. they know how to use onyx and they have it downloaded onto their phone so they know exactly what they're doing yeah and so basically i that was just further evidence right and then and then after the fact, right, it's kind of good that I didn't seize my phone because he had an unknown number in there that he was talking to. And he was, I think he was from Florida or something like that. I never was able to really like track him down, but he told them that the DNR uh, seized the bull elk, right? And then that other individual was, he's like, well, what did you do? And he's like, I was an idiot and lied, you know, saying that he killed it on public and retrieved mm-hmm. it on public. And then that guy responded, he said, you know, well, we keep vials of blood to make blood trails look that way. And I was like, wow, this guy is a serious poacher. Yeah, for sure. To create a blood trail to carry it all the way. So I like forwarded his number and his information to Florida. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, you like, this is what's going on. This is what I'm finding out this. So you guys might want to keep an eye out on this guy because that's, that is some ser- that is like oh, yeah. what, as a group that we're trying to catch mm-hmm. people like that. Right. Like if you're intentionally faking a blood trail <laughs> yeah. to make it look like you killed it on the other side of the fence and it ran over there. That's pretty I've never even thought of that until I looked at that. Uh, I had one case where the guy just set up a kill site in the snow, walked backwards, carried the deer to the spot and then dragged it out and it was the the extent he went to it when I investigated it was just amazing and the only reason I know that happened because I never charged him because there was a divorce so Mm. two years later I got a call from a main game warden and told me the circumstances that the wife told and it was beyond the statute of limitations so it was probably three years but it just burns me yeah you know, I mean, that's, so that, that's great information but, that you yeah, passed along. But yeah, that's now, that's now something that I think of. Mm-hmm. Like if it's on that border, people do that. So, right. and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, so I had that information and, you know, he said I was an idiot and lied and everything like that. And then, you know, he was texting everybody else about <laughs> how much trouble he was in. And he's like, I hope they fail the file. And, you know, they just kind of forget about it. And I was like, buddy, this is us. Oh, man. This is what Game Warden you, you dreams. You got the after effect by not yeah. seizing it then. That's kind of neat. Yeah, I was like, these are what Game Warden dreams are made of. Yeah. A felony bull elk, trophy bull elk case. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I basically just kind of finished up that. We did a couple more interviews, but wasn't able to, like, really now anything down just just kind of gathered some more information but they were just all over the place mm-hmm. so i just submitted the 
information that I had, you know, with photos and try to detail it as, as best as I could. So the attorney would have a good understanding of what actually took place mm. and those text messages and photos and everything were mm. a huge help in that. Yeah. But like I said, I definitely screwed up in the fact of letting him take that evidence when I seized his bow. So that's like one of the main things that I learned mm-hmm. from that case. And, uh, but like I said, we're always learning every year yeah. we'll learn something new, but I basically wrote up my case report, submitted it to be screened to the county attorney. I met with the county attorney a couple well, months later and I was like, Hey, what's, what's going on with that old case? And he goes, well, his defense attorney reached out to me and asked what the plea deal was. And my attorney, I, cause I, I basically stressed, I was like, I don't, we don't necessarily care about the fine because that goes to the jail or that goes to the county, wherever that Mm -hmm. goes, it doesn't go to us. I said, just the restitution is what's important to us is that $8,000 because that goes to getting us equipment, paying for our UTIP line and everything like that. Right. So we want to continue that to go because obviously this whole case was made because of that tip Mm -hmm. of like, Hey, something's up here and you should go check it out. I basically went to him and he said that and I and he said his plea deal was he was keeping it as a felony which is pretty difficult to for wildlife to remain as a felony yeah but then they were going to do a three-year plea in a band so he was a convicted felon for three years paid the restitution for eight thousand dollars um and then we have an administrative hearing for their hunting rights Mm -hmm. and so basically if you get convicted of a felony you get uh it's a seven-year suspension Mm -hmm. of your license but if it's trophy animal it can be doubled Right. So <clears throat> I put him in for 14 years of a suspension and the hearing officer agreed with it and suspended his um, hunting rights for 14 years. Wow. And with the Interstate Wildlife Violator Compact, yeah. you, uh, is it is it all 50 states yet or no? It is all 50 states. Okay. That's yeah. great. Because yeah. I've been going to Hunter Ed's and I was like, man, I know it's 49, but I couldn't couldn't remember if the last state. So, so yeah, in all 50 states. And that was one of his big things is I have dreams of killing a bull moose in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And if he's suspended for 14 years, then he... You know, he, he wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. It's like, hey, man, you made that decision Absolutely to do that. Right. And, and And honestly, like if he wouldn't have lied so much to mm-hmm. us, like that's when we kind of are willing to work with people a little I'm, bit more. Absolutely. But when you're lying to us, it's just, it just gets old. We get lied to every day. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he went through that suspension and then the individual that was with him that was drawn back, mm-hmm. I had enough evidence that the county attorney, we have aiding and assisting in violation unlawful. Right. So they can be charged with the same thing. However, my county attorney decided that it would be better suited to do unlawful take while trespassing. So it's a class B misdemeanor. And so he got charged with that and convicted of that class B misdemeanor for unlawful take while trespassing, which is also revocable offense for hunting. And so this individual actually did something, got charged with the same violation the year prior to hunting in a state park that wasn't open to hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he killed a doe deer on the extended archery, it's called. So he had prior convictions of the same violation. And then since this animal was a trophy animal, 
his suspension could be doubled. So he went through the suspension process, not super professional. I, I asked my head investigator, but he showed up like sitting on a white t-shirt. He must've been at work or something. And the only place that he could get into a quiet area was the bathroom. So he's like sitting on his phone on the toilet on the suspension hearing. And I was like, buddy, you are not helping yourself out. Yeah, I was, I, so he actually got suspended for for three years or mm-hmm. for six years as six well because it was a trophy. Yeah. So even though he didn't even shoot anything, he was at full draw on that same bull elk and got convicted of that unlawful take while trespassing. And so that's the only felony case right now that I've I've had kind of stick in this county. And so it's pretty, it's something that definitely I am proud of. It's a, mm. it's a proud case that I have, but you know, it's, it just goes back to that elk hunting experience and I care about those animals so much and have such an interest in those elk that I am going to work hard to protect them. Yeah. So yeah, if I didn't have that drive for those animals, then I don't know what the case would have been, but it's uh, I'm just glad that it was. And obviously I learned a lot and now mm. I, I pass, you know, there's, there's no shame in admitting that stuff. Like as making a mistake, even if you have more than 10 years on, be like, yeah, I made a mistake. Tell everybody about it. Right. Because then that stops them from making their mis- the same mistake. So if you make the same mistake, like I've got another case that I messed up the search warrant, the wording on the search warrant. Mm. And I've, and, and basically that got rejected as evidence and then fruit of the poisonous tree. And then the case kind of falls apart. Yeah. But it's kind of like, yeah, I am telling you guys this because I don't want you to make that same, same mistake. mistake I did. And it's it's not like my ego is not getting in the way or anything like that because I want all of our officers to be the best that they can. Mm-hmm. And so there's no reason in why you should hold back that information. Right. Um, and so like that kind of stuff, you know, as this warden watch, I know that a ton of our officers listen to it and I'm sure it's nationwide the same way. Yeah. So just... Yeah, make sure that you're talking with other officers and being like, hey, this is what happened on this case. Mm-hmm. You know, don't make this same mistake and your case will be even more solid. Right. And, so, and now you're a field training officer and that's part of being a field training sure. officer is relaying that information to yeah. new hires in that learning skill. Yeah. You know, taking everything you've learned and put it right back into. I will say that you do have to, you do have to, as a FTO, that you have to make, let them make mistakes. <laughs> because, <laughs> because like I said, you're, you're not going to learn by somebody just telling you mm-hmm. everything. So if they make that mistake and then you're like, hey, what about this? Or, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't see that person drop that pole. You know, if it's something minor like that, right. it's not a big deal, but they will remember that. Mm-hmm. You know, say they go up to a boat and they saw them fishing and then somebody said like, oh, no, I'm not fishing. I'm just nursing my baby or something like that. It gives you some wild excuse. And then you kind of believe it and you forget what you saw already. Yeah. But like, I guarantee, because that's something that happened with one of our officers. I guarantee you he will not make that same mistake again. Yeah. And, you know, he'll get photos of people fishing before he's going up and contacting them. And you just learn a lot from making mistakes and yeah. going to court. Like, man, when you get up there, the one case that I have is testified for it for eight hours so far on the stand. Wow. And it's just like just getting constantly drilled and mm-hmm. drilled by somebody that makes way more much, way more money than you. And, you know, you did your best that you could with the experience and the training that you had. And then you walk out of it like, man, I wish I would have done things differently. But whatever, if if it if it comes down to the case getting dismissed or whatever, like I'll catch him again. Yeah, it's 
it's he might think that he gets off again here or you know i i think with this elk case i i do think that this kid learned like mm-hmm. i i don't think that he was a bad i say kid but he's even older than me <laughs> i think that he learned from his mistakes and will be more apt to follow the rules right and you know because now he can hunt waterfowl turkey and stuff like that but he can't hunt big game until he's almost 50 years old yeah so i think that he learned his mistake there and will learn from it um or at least that's my hope right yeah and And it's he's not a bad dude he just made a bad decision and kind of the consequences that followed he he literally crossed the line yep he crossed the line crossed the line (laughs) No, that's so. that's that's really good. Thanks for thanks for sharing that that story because that that is a really cool elk story. Yeah, and given all that we talked about earlier, it just it applies it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. Oh no, yeah, it's it's that is my passion, dude. Definitely. I I think about it all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm running around. My girlfriend gets a little bothered, but I'm bugling on the tube <laughs> now to practice for September in two months <laughs> because it's just. You know, people equate it to turkey hunting, but man, there's just nothing like a bugling bull elk. Yeah, I was going to say maybe if the turkey was, you know, 10 foot tall or yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, and just, it just rattles your bones. Yeah, so yeah. It's, just... it's definitely my passion and I continue to, to love being out here working with those those animals and being able to have the opportunity to chase them every year in September. Yeah. Well, it's been pretty awesome to experience Utah, hang out with the Utah officers, like you said, sitting on your front porch, looking that mountain range that here we are towards the end of July and it, and it's still pretty steady with snow up yep. there. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, um, we had we had a ton of snow, I think up in I'm one of the lead snowmobile instructors for the Divisional Wildlife and we were doing an avalanche training with your probes and beacons yeah. and stuff like that and shovels. And uh, you'd take your probe out and get it all together, and it's around nine feet. Mm-hmm. And you'd be able to stick it all the way into the snow, and then your arm length, too, and you still didn't touch bottom. <sighs> so, I mean, we had over, you know, 10 feet of snow up yeah. there in the mountains, which is great. And then it's going to be, it's a good year. It was a tough winter for the animals that didn't survive, mm-hmm. but the animals that did make it, you know, I was talking to my biologist, and they said it's kind of like surgery. You know, you're going you're gonna to hurt for you know, the first couple months or years in this instance, but the strongest animals that made it through that are going to be your breeding population. Gotcha. So in the next five years, you know, those animals are going to be the ones that are breeding. So you're going to have the healthiest deer and elk, moose and everything like that. And then just with the water that we've had this year, the antler potential for the animals that you are able to harvest this year is going to be off the charts. So it's, it's going to be a pretty exciting year in Utah to, to have those tags. And I'm just, I'm just excited for it and definitely feel blessed that I get that opportunity to chase those critters. Yeah. From New York to Utah, and it doesn't sound like you're ever going to leave. And it's hard to, just like you said, you know, the past week that you had, that's, we went out fishing yesterday, and you guys, I know I I see you constantly taking photos, and like, this is so cool, and I'm like, That's to make everybody back east jealous. This is my patrol (laughs) district, and Chris mentioned it the other day, but he goes, you know, as we're driving down, and you can see all the mountains around, and just the beautiful scenery, Mm. and he goes, does this ever get old? And I say, I do get used to it until mm. somebody new comes. Yeah. And they're just like, man, look at this place. Like my sister, I took her up for a side-by-side ride last year and we just went up on the mountains. There's a reservoir uh, called Tibble Fork Reservoir and it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, 
it's cliffy and it's beautiful, gorgeous trees everywhere mm-hmm. and water and everything like that. And, you know, she just almost every day, she's like, I can't believe you live here. Yeah. So it just, it does definitely makes me feel definitely fortunate. You know, I've, I've got a pretty supportive family. You know, that's, that's everybody that asks me, you know, that's the only thing that I miss from back home is my friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I have a super flexible schedule and a super understanding supervisor where he's like, if you, he knows if you need time to go take care of that stuff or if they're coming out to visit, you take that time off and, you know, spend time with family because you can't, you can't get too lost in the job. I know that you talked about, you talked about, you know, we're always working and stuff like that, but man, sometimes you just need to decompress and Mm -hmm. go spend time hiking out with your sister, my sister, or, you know, having my family, they came down to Moab um, a couple of years ago and we rented side-by-sides and we don't have street legal side-by-sides in New York, but down in Moab, you're just ripping around everywhere. Yeah, going everywhere. And, uh, you know, my, my dad is just like, he was just blown away and it was like seeing like he was like a kid again, just driving that. My mom's screaming and then she'll kill me because I know that she's going to listen to this, but she's screaming in the back back seat because, you know, the first thing they tell you not to do is kind of drift the machines, Yeah, but I'm pretty hard on equipment. So, you know, what did I do? The first sand dune, I just wheeled it right around there and, you know, she's yelling, my dad's laughing, feeling like a kid again. So it's just, it's just a riot and there's the diversity, what the state has to offer from those red rocks to the alpine mm. you know it's just it's just unreal it's yeah. it's a crazy crazy place and from somebody back east i would you know just highly recommend coming out here and spending a week or two and having having an elk experience like that or just yeah. just seeing what you can see out there it's just just the scenery is its own mm. you know like just the scenery is something to look at of in, in amazement yeah, hundred so. percent. Every time I come west, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a a beautiful place for sure. Yeah, and you get to live it. Sure. So. Yep. And I'm definitely fortunate enough to live that. Yeah. So. So and probably is inspiring the next generation of game warden to move west to with this podcast. Yeah. Hopefully, it's it's an expensive cost of living out here, but yeah. if you're if you're willing to make it work, I mean it's. I don't think there's a better place than to be a game warden out west. I mean, that's that's the dream, right? Like, I think that it is just paramount compared to everywhere else. Because that's mm. what people ask me if I'm going to go back to New York and and do that or go back east closer to home. And, you know, I like I said, I have a flexible schedule. So I think that I'm going to be able to make things work and make more time for my mm-hmm. family and go back. Yeah, I just... I have that desire to do fish and wildlife stuff. And I think when you go back to New York or other Eastern states, you kind of get roped into that environmental quality aspect, which Mm -hmm. is important, you know, but I just, I don't have that, you know, I I don't have that as big of an interest in that as I do, you know, say elk or deer cases or bear cases, mountain lion cases, stuff like that. Like I want to, I want to focus strictly on the wildlife aspect of it. Very cool. Thanks for sitting down on your front porch, Ethan. Yeah. And, uh, talking to me no problem all kinds of uh sounds of things yeah going sorry out around sorry but, the, the house uh, that, that, is still that's part under, of it <laughs> yeah the, the house is still under construction there's construction going on but oh. now i feel fortunate enough to get into housing here so yeah I'm happy to have you congratulations so. thank you cool thanks wayne